that occur in life that are very interesting and ironic, uh, some of manipulation. And uh, one of the things that uh, I saw yesterday, it was, it was, it was an older one, I think, uh, but nevertheless, it dealt with the fact that how uh, marketers and advertisers, the types of things that they do in order to manipulate you or manipulate us, and we are not even aware of. Uh, one of the things that uh, just so happens that uh, I started at the very end of the program for some strange reason. I'm not sure how that happened. And they asked the question at the end of the program. They asked the question, uh, do you, uh, something to the effect of, uh, do you all of a sudden have a desire to want milk? And they said, if you do, it's because we have been giving you subtle messages throughout this program. And then, so I said, that's interesting, right? So then I, I, I rolled it back from the beginning, and from the very beginning, you saw the word milk. And the word milk would appear here and here, and in subtle ways, they would talk about it, but the program was about something else. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, you say the advertisers calls, call this priming. Priming. So... What they're doing with this priming is they are conditioning our minds in very subtle ways. For instance, they said that, are you aware when you go into a grocery store, you know, there's so much red everywhere. They said one of the reasons there's so much red because they understand that a red induces hunger. In many restaurants, you have red this and red that. And certain things, of course, you have bold letters. Uh, they'll tell you, for instance, he said that there was uh, something that was on sale, uh, buy eight at a discount, whatever the price was. Eight, we'll say eight for $5. And people are more interested in, in, in thinking, well, it looks like I have a deal. So you don't necessarily have to buy eight. You can walk in there and buy one and still get the discount. But somehow we go into the store and we decide to buy eight yogurts for, what, $10, whatever the case may be. All because they said eight for 10 or eight for eight or whatever the case may be. Why? Because they are manipulating us. Well, brothers and sisters, I want you to know that in this world, there's also other messages that are also manipulating us. That there's a spirit in this world that is priming us. It is priming us with subtle messages, not necessarily of color, not necessarily on quantity, but on spiritual matters. They tell us things like, well, to live like this, it's okay. Right? And they say it in a very gentle way. As long as people are, 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 are loving, it's okay. See, they're normal just like you are. Or it's okay, they say to tell, uh, Pastor Scott, it's okay to tell a little white lie. Why? Because a little white lie never hurt anyone. That's okay. You're normal. 
Everybody tells a lie. This world is priming us for a mindset which opposes God. So we must be wise to know that there is an invisible war. And we are a part of it. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, sober us. Sober us, Lord God. Let us not be unaware of the devices of the adversary. Open our eyes that we may see and give us the boldness, the courage to walk in the way that's pleasing in your sight but as proud children of the one and only King, Jesus Christ. So, Father, as we pray today and as we begin to breach this subject, my prayer, Lord God, is that there will not be any more collateral damage. That indeed, Father, that you would protect us all, Lord God, as you give us the right and the boldness to be your children without any reason to be ashamed. And as we stand, Lord God, prepared, fully able to withstand the attacks of the adversary. So wake us up today, Lord God, Give us the mind of Christ as we walk in this earth, Lord God. Protect our families, Lord God. Protect marriages, Lord God. Singles. What's going on at the job, Father? We thank you so much. We place our lives squarely, fully, confidently in your hands. We ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I know you must be saying to yourself, man, he's worked up already. He hasn't even started. Well, how many of you would be willing to go to war today? I mean, right now. Right? Now, there's one. I knew that hand would go up. How many else, how many other people would be willing to go to war right now? No time to go back home. Uh, let me go home and get this together. Uh, there's no time to let me go and stock up with groceries. Right? I'm talking about right now. No, I'm not talking about sending soldiers from our country to defend us, either here on our shores or abroad in the foreign land. I'm talking about you. And I know you may be saying to yourself, well, pastor, that would be good probably about 30, 40 years ago or 20 years ago or five years ago. 
but right now I'm not physically able to go to war. Or, you know, I have my kids and I can't go to war because I'm at war at home every single day. Some of you may be saying, if you're a student in school, I'm just too young to go to war. I'm not, I'm just 16 or 15 or however old you are, I'm too young to go to war. But I want you to know that regardless of your age, regardless of your physical condition or your mindset, I want you to know that you are at war. We all are involved in a spiritual war, whether you like it or want it or not. This spiritual war did not wait on your permission to happen. From the very day that you entered into this world, you were at war. And for some of you, if you name the name of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and not only are you at war, it's like you are like a, uh, a, a, a waving a sign that says, uh, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. You're waving that sign so the enemy can say, oh, there they are, let's go get them now. This is why I believe that uh, some people are, and I'm not just talking about generally, I'm talking about people from our church are not at church today. Well, undoubtedly, when we hear about or talk about the spiritual realm or spiritual warfare, our ears either perk up for understanding or our hearts beat with anxiety out of fear. There's some things about this topic, more so than most others, uh, that are usually disconcer unusually disconcerting due to a fear of poking or kicking at the hornet's nests. In other words, we say to ourselves, well, you know, I hear what you're saying, Pastor, but look, as, as, as long as I leave it alone, I'll be okay. As long as I stay out of the dark alleys or if I'm walking down the street, the group of people that I don't like, as long as I see them and I cross over to the other side, I'm okay. I had a friend uh, years ago, and uh, I know Elder Davis knows him. He was, uh, anyway, he was telling me, uh, Sonny Sills, he was telling me a story that he was on a train platform. And he's just, he's a musician, and he's just minding his own business. He's trying to, he's just trying to get to a gig. He's standing on a platform with his instrument in his hand and all of a sudden someone walks up behind him with a knife and pokes him in the back and says, hey man, give me all your money. I want what you got in your hand, this, that, and the other else. I'm going to kill you right now. I don't want to hear anything. But Sonny, he says, uh, he says, but he, he called me Spence. He says, but Spence! I said, I forget what the guy's name was. He says, he says, Tommy, is that you? He said, and he turned around, and it was one of his friends trying to stick him up. He didn't know who he was. I'm not saying, telling you that story for the, the levity part, but what I'm saying is that you can just be minding your business, doing what's right, 
completely dedicated to God, and the enemy wants to walk up behind you and say, give me everything you get. The enemy not only wants to say, give me everything you get, but he pokes his knife or his, his spiritual gun to your head, and he says, well, not only do I want what you have, but I also want your allegiance. Else I will kill you. What do you do? So one thing that you should know ahead of time is that the hornet's nest has already been poked and kicked, and it has uh, poked and kicked itself. See, the spiritual realm not only deals with the rule of God, but it also deals with the desire of Satan. God's rule is understood as we read in Scripture. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right? In the beginning. So that means if you are the creator and you create everything, that means that you are ruler by default. Right? If you created something out of nothing, uh, that means, right, some scientists say that, you know, the Big Bang happened out of nothing, which doesn't even, uh, doesn't even die with their own uh, scientific theories, right, or, or, or their formulas, right? Uh, uh, but, but nevertheless, if you can create something out of nothing, that means that you are more powerful than that something that came out of nothing. Therefore, by default, you are ruler. But there is also a dark force inaugurated by Satan. Uh, Satan's desire is to disrupt God's order in order to replace the Lord as ruler over everything. His desire is to be worshipped by all creation. In his quest to rule and be worshipped, uh, what does he do? He intimidates. Uh, the adversary, he divides. Uh, I always wonder... If you've ever wondered, why is there so always so much mess happening? You know, sometimes there's mess at home, and I get to the job, there's mess on the job. I even ride the bus, or I ride the train, and there's mess there. I go to the grocery store, there's mess there, because this is the enemy. Seeking to disrupt, divide, destroy. And also his desire is to oppress as many of God's creatures as he can in order to unseat God as ruler. Simple as that. So if you think that you are okay, I'm not going to read that stuff. I know uh, sometimes I've made my wife uncomfortable uh, because sometimes late at night, you know, I'm, I'm reading certain things and I'll tell her, hey, listen, look what, what here, what God did to the devil and what Satan was trying to do like at 12 midnight. She's like, look, don't be talking about that stuff right now before I go to bed. I'm like, you ain't, you ain't scared of that, are you? Come on, you, you, you'll be all right. You'll be all right. So if you think that you are okay by not, by not reading or talking or studying about this issue, know that you are not okay because the devil is always trying to devise a plan to get you and to keep you under, your, under his control. Not just to get you there, but to keep you there as well. If he has not tried to disrupt your life this week, hold on. Because this series is just starting. 
My purpose for this series is stated as I take a verse from one of the Pauline epistles. It says, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be ignorant. I do not want you uninformed about the invisible war which is pressing in on all sides. But I also want to give you a scripture to help us walk through this message. If you are one that's a little squeamish about this, and you know I never really heard a message about the devil, especially over weeks and all this other stuff, and I don't know, I'm a little bit uncomfortable, uh, but I, I got a word from you from the Lord, for you from the Lord, 1 John, 1 John 4 and 4. This is your word. So when you get a little disconcerted, you get uncomfortable. Apostle John says this. Little children, you are from God and over, have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And it is that latter part uh, that I would have you to grab onto. For he, and that he is uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Uh, can you repeat that with me, please? Let me say the first part. For he, uh, say it like this, for he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. One more, one more time, please. For he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. Now let's say it together, please. For he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. Try it one more time. For he who is in me is greater. So in other words, if you have a greater power within you via uh, the Holy Spirit, though 10,000 may fall at your right, or 10,000 may fall at your left, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And it is that hope and that confidence that we have. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 145, verse 13. Psalm chapter 145, verse 13. As some of you may know, and if you don't know, you'll know now, because I'm about to say it. There are two opposing kingdoms that exist. There are two opposing kingdoms that exist. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Two opposing kingdoms that exist. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. I'll start with the kingdom of God. Psalm 145, verse 13. Scripture reads, your kingdom, this is the Lord's kingdom, uh, Yahweh's kingdom, is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generation. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Uh, when we're talking about a kingdom, what exactly is a kingdom? Uh, the, the word kingdom uh, originally means uh, to rule, to reign, or to have authority. So initially, 
It has nothing to do with people, but everything to do with the ability of the one who has the power to exercise their reign or authority over another. But yet it is also a, a, a realm or a region of which uh, something is dominant over. J. Dwight Pentecost says this, and I quote, Essential to the meaning of the word kingdom is the actual exercise of authority in a realm over which one has the sovereign right to rule. If the exercise of authority is not in view, the concept of kingdom is not present. So in other words, uh, if we are indeed talking about a kingdom, we must also talk about authority. In order to have a kingdom, there must be authority, right? Uh, if you have a kingdom, you have a right to rule. Therefore, as creator, God exercises his authority over the heavens and earth because he has the sovereign right to rule over all things. So our first scripture here in Psalm 145, 13 tells us that the kingdom of God is an everlasting kingdom. It is eternal. It does not have an end. So the kingdom of God is eternal. It does not have an end. And his dominion endures throughout all generations. So as many people that will now, in the past, or ever exist on the face of the earth, uh, God has authority and rule over all that. God was holy, just, and righteous, rules over all things, and this is what we all should desire. We should desire God. God as ruler is a good thing, and we should all probably agree with that statement. But let's face it. Look at life. Look at life. When you think of all the gangbangers out, folks shooting up police officers, police officers shooting up folks, just all this chaos in the world, you know, and it goes on and on and on. Crooked political leaders, crooked religious and spiritual leaders, natural disasters. It doesn't quite seem like a place where God rules. I don't know about you. But God does rule. So in the beginning, not only did God create the heaven and earth, God gave Adam and Eve the authority and the right to have dominion over the earth. So originally, God had given stewardship, dominion over the earth. He had given that to Adam and Eve. So in other words, at one point, there was never a time in which Adam could walk around and be afraid of a lion. There is never a time that Adam or Eve could walk around and be afraid of a snake. There was never a time that when a rhinoceros would come charging, that Adam and Eve would be afraid of a rhinoceros because they would stand there because God had given them authority and dominion over all the creatures on the earth, and all they had to do was stand or tell them, just get out of my way. Try that today and see what happens. You may try it if you have a rifle or 
gun in your hand, but you try to just stand there and say, oh, Mr. Rhinoceros, I have dominion over you. You see what will happen to you. In this case, God gave Adam and Eve authority to rule on the earth as his co-regents. In other words, God was king, and Adam and Eve were like many kings. God was the king, and Adam and Eve were like many kings on the earth. But one thing I want all of us to understand is that even though God gave them dominion over all the earth, they still had to answer to God. So even though they could tell a, uh, a big old lion, mean old lion, uh, you just shut up and get out of my way, and he would go running. At the end of the day, when God stepped into the picture, that Adam and Eve had to submit themselves to the will of God. Hmm. If you're a manager, or supervisor, or the head of anything at your job, one thing that you know uh, that typically you still must answer to someone else. Even though you may be seen as boss, there is still someone who's a boss over the boss. The same was the case with Adam and Eve. Uh, Eve submitted to Adam. Adam submitted to God. Both Adam and Eve had reign over the earth. We see that dominion as Adam had. He was able not only to say, uh, he was not concerned about the ferociousness of animals or being hurt by the animals, but he had so much authority that he could give them names. It's very interesting also about uh, Adam as well. Uh, you would think that, okay, Adam had the authority and the dominion, the headship, in order to give all the animals the name. Who gave Eve her name? Let's try that again, right? I didn't hear any answer. Who gave Eve her name? So what does that tell you about God's design order? That Adam was what? Come on, men and women, come on. That Adam should have been what? Come on, you can do it, come on. He was head in the relationship. I'm not planning on going there today. And if you're trying to, uh, if you're trying to doubt God's word, we just come against that in Jesus' name. So, not only is there the kingdom of God, uh, that which God rules, but there's also this kingdom of darkness. Uh, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 14 beginning in verse 12. Isaiah chapter 14, beginning in verse 12. Here is a prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. When you first begin to read this prophecy within context, you'll say, clearly, this is talking about a person, king of Tyre. Uh, these things are talking about an individual. I forget which king this was right now. Think about Ezekiel. But in any case, uh, you say it's talking about a person, but we must see this. It can't be talking about a regular human being. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star. Right there should tell you a whole lot, because at this particular point, there is no other one that a human being that existed in heaven and fell down to the earth. The idea of uh, uh, the name Lucifer, 
how this name it indicates something of light. How you have, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. <clears throat> you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That is the signature of Lucifer. So Lucifer rebelled against God. Wanting to be worshipped over God, he rejected God's right to rule, denied God's authority while rejecting his responsibility as a servant in the kingdom, refusing to remain in subjection. One of the things you can always tell when there's a problem anywhere, anytime when those who are supposed to be sub uh, submitting to another, when they start saying, talking all this stuff, well, I ain't got to do nothing you tell me you have to do, you know there's a problem with the heart of that individual. Unless... If this individual is trying to tell them to do things that are ungodly, if someone is trying to tell you to do things that are ungodly, then you have a right, according to the authority that God has given you, not to do ungodly things because you walk in righteousness and holiness. But if that's not the case, that's not the case, and it's hard, I know. Someone tells you to do something, you must submit yourselves to them. Because if you're not, it gives an air of rebellion. And Satan is a rebellious one. So the result of this insurrection, this rebellion, was that he, uh, that is Satan, Lucifer, the devil, Beelzebub, and all the other angels who sided with him were themselves kicked out of heaven. You must look at this, Revelation 12, 9. Please, I'm going to read quickly. Revelation 12, verse 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who was called the devil and Satan, the, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Obviously, Satan offered himself as an alternative king in place of the Lord to the other angels. Some foolishly, uh, they said, okay, okay, Mr. Devil, Okay, old dawn star, you want to make yourself king, and you're saying, Lucifer, that if you're king, you're going to let me be your first in command like you were with God? So then, okay, then what we're going to do is, that sounds like a good deal. We're going to go ahead and instead of voting for God, Instead of voting for Yahweh, we're going to vote for you, and we're going to overthrow this whole thing, and we're going to have a really, really good time. How many people know that trying to fight against God is foolishness? I, I was telling uh, the, the class on Wednesday night uh, about that play years ago. It was called, Your Arms Are Too Short to Box with God. Our arms uh, do not possess a long enough reach uh, to even uh, bring wind across God's face. As a matter of fact, from the moment that we begin to think these things, God is already planning to bring judgment on us. Why? 
Because God is omniscient. God knows everything. Guess what? God knows what you're thinking right now. You say, yeah, but he don't know. Yeah, he knows that. He knows what you're thinking right now. So these other angels, they got wrapped up in this whole ordeal. Having seen the majesty and power of God, they decided to worship the creature instead of the creator. And this is why angel angelic sin is unforgivable. You see, if you are in heaven and you sin against God, you are done. You're done. There is no Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. If you sin against God while in heaven, having seen his majestic power, you are done. You, where else are you going to go? For us, you say, well, what about us? I hear the word. It's a little bit different for us. God, he gives us moment after moment, opportunity after moment uh, to come to him. That we can come to Jesus Christ as long as we are able to make a decision in our life. But then we become much like the angels. That once we pass away, once we pass away, if we have not made that decision for him, there is no purgatory. There is no holding cell. We're going to hold you here until people on the earth can pray to get you out so you can finally get, you, get, get to heaven. That place does not exist. Are you hearing what I'm saying, brothers and sisters? There is no middle ground. It does not exist. You cannot find that in Scripture. And if it's not in Scripture, it is a lie. So don't believe that stuff and don't waste your time praying for people that you know are going to hell once they die. Start praying for somebody else who's alive. Bottom line is that on earth, Adam and Eve rebelled against God by allowing the devil to persuade them to reject God's truth in favor of the devil's version of the truth. And we know that the devil's version of the truth is nothing but a lie. Know that when you have a version of God's truth which fundamentally reject God's word, then you are in rebellion. We are in rebellion operating according to the principles of darkness. So Satan's goal is not just to have angels worship him, but guess what? To have you worship him as well. Satan's goal is to have you to worship him as well. He has set up a dark kingdom on the earth whose primary objective is to rule over all the things on the earth. So, uh, the first point we learn is that uh, there are two opposing kingdoms in operation, right? The kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God. But next we discover that these two kingdoms don't exist uh, at different times or in different places. And here it is, number two. These two kingdoms exist simultaneously or at the same time. First, there is the place of blessings where God reigns. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. One of the questions we often ask is, where is this place? Where is this heavenly places? Where is this location? Well, it is a real place, but it's simply not visible to our eyes. Uh, some people say that if it is uh, invisible, then it probably isn't real. But I tell you that your thoughts are invisible. 
Your thoughts are invisible, but yet they are as real as anything that you can see around you. So what we often see more than the actual kingdom is that kingdom at play uh, in the decisions that are made uh, on behalf of an organization or an individual's lives. And what we see, talking about how God has blessed us in, in every spiritual place, but as time grows near, the time of Christ to return to this earth, <clears throat> we see uh, organizations like our government and other non-religious institutions making decisions that negatively impact the church. These decisions also blatantly oppose scripture like lifestyle of people who reject biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. Interestingly enough, this rejection is increasingly coming from within churches. Some churches are now beginning to take up this banner, but I'm telling you that you will be in a good place if you stay in God's Word. But there's also a place of darkness where Satan reigns. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. You may know this. Ephesians 6, 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in, here it is again, the spiritual, the heavenly places. You see, on the one hand, it says in heavenly places is the place where we receive our blessing, right? Didn't we just read that in Ephesians 1, 3? Yes or no? Let's try it again. Did we not just read that God blesses us in the heavenly places? Yes or no? Yes. Ephesians 1, 3. Now it says that there are authorities and cosmic powers uh, in this present darkness, this present age, against spiritual forces of evil. Where? Where? So are we talking about two different types of heavenly places? This war is ensuing in the same place. In this spiritual realm, there is a war that is constantly at play and Satan is trying to take more ground. You may think that things are bad now, but if uh, the Holy Spirit was taken out of the picture, you better believe that things will be 10,000 times worse. Know this and know it clearly. Satan is a terrorist. Say it again. The devil is a terrorist. And you may try to appease him, but after you appease him, he's going to want more from you. After you try to appease him, he's going to want more. He's going to take more ground. He's going to want your soul. Some of the difficulty and problems we experience may point to the kingdom of darkness attempting to bring us and our families into submission. But I want you to know, this reality, it's real. It is real. Luke chapter 4, verse 5. Luke 4 and 5. Write it down. If you don't get it, I'm moving on. And the devil took him up, this is Jesus, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in the moment of time and said to him, uh, To you I will give all authority and their glory, for... It has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, 
it will all be yours. So again, Satan himself, he has a realm in which he reigns. And Jesus, he never denied that authority. He didn't say, you're just a lie, Satan. You know, none of that belongs to you. He just says, you know, Scripture basically says you will worship the Lord your God and him only shall we worship. So the devil was attempting to assume total authority by trying to get Jesus to worship him. Part of the devil's ploy is to get you and I to worship him in exchange for some trinket which will be our downfall. That trinket that the devil offers you will pale in comparison to the judgment that will come upon us when God rains down his wrath upon the earth. Don't believe the devil. The devil is a lie. I believe the devil, he tempts us not to pray. The devil does not want you to read scripture. The devil does not want you or I to submit to God's word so that trouble will no longer come our way. Bottom line is, you cannot negotiate with a terrorist. We cannot negotiate with a terrorist. The devil is a terrorist. These cosmic powers are at work all, all around us every single day. So finally, what do we do now that we are armed with God's word? We understand that there is a kingdom of God at play and there is the kingdom of darkness at play. So what are we supposed to do? Just a couple of things for you. Number one, we must not unwittingly partake in any organization that promotes the kingdom of darkness. Do not unwittingly partake or join in with any organization that promotes the kingdom of darkness. And you know what I'm talking about. Number two, do not be afraid to walk in the boldness that belongs to you as a child of God in Christ Jesus. Paul tells Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, for God did not give you the spirit of fear, but power, love, and sound mind. It's the old version. ESV says, for God gave us a spirit not to fear, but a power and love and self-control. Uh, don't walk around in fear. Number three, refuse to take part in any activity that seems to celebrate or endorse darkness. As some of you know, but I am, uh, I am a musician, and uh, one time I had a fellow, he called me, and he says, well, I decided to call you and talk to you first about this. I said, well, you either have a job for me or you don't have a job. He said, I just want to know that uh, if you would be willing to come and perform at this reception. I said, I've performed hundreds and hundreds, but what's going on? He says, well, it's like two guys getting married. You know what I said? Said, what do you think? Right? Because he wouldn't be asking me in the first place if he himself didn't have doubts. And the first thing I said was, according to Scripture, that is not God's plan. I refuse to be a part of that. And if I'm ever invited, do you think I'm going to go? I'm not going to go celebrate that. I don't care who it is, whether it's 
whether it's a, a friend or whether it's family, I'm not going. So don't ask me. Number four, submit ourselves to the church and leadership within the church, which we call our spiritual home. Right? Because by not submitting to the church, then we become in rebellion, especially if the church is operating under the, uh, the guidance of God's word. Number five, reject any desire to rebel against God's word. Reject any desire to rebel against God's word. So here they are, one more time. Number one, we must not unwittingly partake in any organization that promotes the kingdom of darkness. Two, do not be afraid to walk in the boldness that belongs to you as a child of God in Christ Jesus. Number three, refuse to take any part in any activity that seems to celebrate or endorse darkness. Number four, submit ourselves to the church and leadership within the church, which we call our spiritual home. And then finally, number five, reject any desire to rebel against God's word. Let's pray.